So our scripture uh, reading today, readings, are from Acts and the book of Romans. So please turn with me to our first scripture lesson, or reading, which is Acts chapter 1, where I'll be reading from verses 4 through 8. If you don't have a Bible and are in need of one, please grab one of those red pew Bibles in front of you. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he said, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now for our second scripture reading, please turn to Romans chapter 10, where I'll be reading verses 9 through 17. Again, Romans chapter 10, 9 through 17. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be with all of you this morning. You know, we have this chair sitting up here, and sometimes in places it was actually traditional for the person preaching to sit down while the whole congregation stood and listened, Um, but we're not going to do that, so don't worry. (laughs) Let's pray and turn to God's word. God and Father, as we now continue to reflect on your calling on our lives to bear witness to you and show you forth to the world. I pray that you would be near to all of us, bringing encouragement and conviction, that you would speak to all of us sinners as we sit under your word, and that you would speak through me a sinner as I seek to proclaim it. pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this Advent season, we've been taking a break from what we normally do, which is just preach through books of the Bible, 
Uh, we've been preaching through Exodus, took a break from that, and instead we're meditating for these couple of weeks on this theme in Scripture, which is that in Advent, um, there's a sense in which what we're celebrating is two comings of Jesus. His first coming at Christmas in the past, and then his second coming when he returns. Historically, that's the focus of Advent. Um, but there's also a sense biblically in which there is sort of a third way that Jesus comes in between. Not that he comes physically back to earth or anything, but that scripture teaches us that we are the body of Christ. We are the way that Jesus becomes physically present in the world, in our lives, in the ways that we engage. We are to bear God's image, to show forth Jesus to the world. So we've been talking about that. First, that idea, and then in the last week, this week, and next week, some specific ways the Bible talks about that. Last week, we talked about being Christ's hands to the poor and being called to care for the poor and needy. Next week, we're going to talk about um, being called to minister Christ's presence, both through encouragement and through discipleship. This week, we're going to be talking about um, what I called being Christ's mouth, which sounds a little weird, we're going to talk about evangelism and our calling to share the good news of Jesus with people. But right up front, stop, okay? <laughs> because I feel like that topic, more than almost any other when you discuss it in the church, it's familiar, but I feel like we also do this thing where our mind just kind of like goes down this well-worn path and we don't really think about it. So, okay, on one level, some of us can hear that and we can um, wrestle because we have an idea of what evangelism has to mean that is not what it actually has to mean. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. And some of us might also hear that and kind of shut down because we have questions like, should this be a thing that I do at all? Why am I actually supposed to do this? I don't feel like this is right. And we'll also talk about that in a few minutes. But even if that's not you, for most of us, I think there are, there are these things in life, not just in Christianity, in life, where we all sort of agree with them and don't do them and feel mildly guilty, but kind of nothing changes. Just like exercise, right? <laughs> At least for me, you know? I mean, like, I wholeheartedly agree that I should exercise for a half hour every day. Um, and I do not exercise for a half hour every day, <laughs> right? And I sort of feel guilty about that, but, but hearing that I should doesn't change anything. And my concern is that evangelism can be that sort of thing oftentimes for us as Christians. That most of us probably agree that it's a good idea, that the Bible says to do it. Certainly our church, one of our core values, if you look at the vision and mission statement, is evangelism. So it's not like when we say we should share the gospel with people and tell people about Jesus. It's not that we're going to say, no, that's wrong for most of us. But even still we often don't do it. And so as I thought about <laughs> discussing it this morning, um, the thing that weighed on me is that I do not want us to just do that, right? <laughs> when we hear the discussion, I don't want to hear us just kind of shut down for whatever reason and go along those familiar paths. So here's what I want to do. I just want to ask you to kind of not go down those roads and stay open, and we're just going to discuss four reasons Scripture gives that we should be encouraged to do this thing. Four reasons we should share the good news of Jesus with people. And along the way, we're also going to talk about those other concerns that people have about whether we should do this at all and how that fits with the way we think about the world. 
And then I want to just talk practically about some ways that we can live that out in our lives. All right? So four reasons scripture gives that we need to tell people about Jesus. First, because salvation requires it. Salvation requires it. I might later try to say some things that are less expected, but this is where we have to start, all right? And this is hard in our world. Now, according to the Bible, the way that people are saved is through trusting in the work of Jesus. That is the only way that people come to salvation. It's what Paul said this morning in our reading from the book of Romans. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So Paul's saying, what does it mean to be a Christian, first of all, right? And this is important. But it doesn't mean that you live a respectable, moral life. It doesn't mean that you go to church some certain amount of times a year. It doesn't mean that you're a part of a certain family or that you check a certain box on the census. Biblically, being a Christian always boils down to that, to those two things. Do you publicly, right, acknowledge and profess that you are trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation? And do you, from the heart, believe that and embrace that as really true? And we need to just dwell on that for a minute. Um, because in our world, that can actually be a hard idea for us to believe. We have, we hear that claim, even though in many ways that's one of those basic biblical claims, and we wrestle with believing it. So let me just say a couple of things about that, if that's you. First of all, this is not something that the Apostle Paul just made up. We quoted him there, and I think some people tell this story where it's like Jesus has this very sort of nice, you know, easy message, and then the church kind of comes along and makes it hard. But here's what Jesus said about himself in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and Jesus said to the disciples, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. That is Jesus' assessment of things. Whoever believes this good news of what he's doing. And if you're wondering what exactly that is, we need to talk about that too, and we will in a minute. But if you believe that good news of what Jesus has done, and, and then he adds you're baptized, which is his way of saying, and you acknowledge it publicly, right? Baptism is this public mark of these promises of God. And so that's the same sort of thing as Paul's profess it with your mouth. He says, if that is true of you, then you are saved. If it's not, then you're not. That's Jesus' words. And then secondly, it is important for us to say, when we say all of that, that that is not in some way saying that people who have done that are better than people who have not. Because I think that's the second reason we get uncomfortable. We get this sense of we're saying, like, you have to trust and believe in Jesus to be saved. And so that's some way to feel superior to people or to look down on people. And that just completely misses the point, right? Because what we are saying is not that good people are Christians and bad people are not, right? That is the opposite of what we're saying. What we're saying is that to be a Christian, you have to believe that you are a sinner, you are a bad person, and you are trusting in Jesus's grace alone to save you. So this is not a claim that we, you know, that Christians think that because they believe this thing, they're somehow superior. In fact, there's a real sense in which we should be the people who most say, no, we are the most inferior people. And that is why we believe and embrace this gospel. And then third, 
this claim that we need to believe in Jesus for salvation is not unloving. In fact, love is the thing that motivates us, but we're going to come back to that in just a minute. Um, instead, we need to just come back to this idea we're saying, that salvation requires um, people hearing about Jesus. Because that's the point that Paul makes when he says what he just said. Back to Romans 10, he says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So Paul's question is saying, if people need to believe in Jesus to be saved, then we need to tell people about Jesus in order for them to be saved. He goes on in the end of our reading to say, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now we're not going to um, dwell on this point too long, because this is probably, if you've been around the church, the familiar point. But it is a hard one in our day, and it is the core of the biblical stress. So we, let's just say it one more time here. In the normal course of events in Scripture, the only way that people come to know Jesus is by somebody else telling them about him. In the normal course of events, the only way someone comes to know Jesus is through someone else telling them. I say in the normal course of events because, yes, there are these extraordinary, like, stories on the missions field where someone finds a Bible or has a vision and becomes a Christian. Although even then, those people are always drawn then to meet other Christians and learn more. And those, those things are exceptional, right? It's like you don't use that as an excuse not to tell people about Jesus any more than you, you see someone who's suffocating and you're like, God could heal them, so I'm not going to give them CPR, right? That, that, is not, um, that is not the way you engage with it. And the truth is that there are a lot of people a lot of people like around us that we know that don't believe and have not heard that message. I think I talk to people in the church sometimes and they have this idea that everyone like understands and has really heard about and thought through Christianity and that they've rejected it. And that is just not the case. I, because I'm a pastor and get to do this kind of thing, I regularly in conversations with just random people that I meet, you know, in our community and, and around, we'll just ask them like, man, like, what does it mean to be a Christian, right? You know, what is Christianity, do you think? Um, and I will just tell you that almost never does the person talk about Jesus, right? Almost never do they talk about the good news that Jesus has saved them and rescued them. They might talk about some other stuff, but almost none of those people have actually heard the hope of the gospel, at least in a way that they can understand. So salvation requires that we share the gospel. But then a second reality that should challenge and encourage us to evangelize is that love inspires it. Love should inspire us to tell people about Jesus. Um, like we said, our world really wrestles with this calling to share the gospel. And I think that, um, that often the reason it wrestles with it is because it feels like that calling is unloving. Um, that it's unloving to tell people, man, like, you need to believe in Jesus, and, you know, you're a sinner who needs his grace. And, um, I mean, and I, you know, I feel that, right? In my gut, like, I, I have that, you know, that feeling sometimes, because I grew up in this world, too. But if the Bible is true, then that just doesn't make sense. Um, because this is good news, if it is true. It's what Paul said in Romans. He says, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? That, in truth, is what you're seeing is that this messenger's coming with, 
wonderful news and that that's a beautiful thing like that is in fact what is happening I mean, we, you could make all these analogies that I feel like preachers make sometimes to try to make that point, right? It's not unloving if someone is drowning, to, you know, to tell them how to swim, to throw them a life preserver. It's not unloving if someone is sick to, you know, to give them their diagnosis and the treatment that they need to undergo. It is not unloving if we are lost in sin to give us the hope of Jesus Christ. Our problem in that regard is that in our world, I think a lot of times we confuse love with giving people what they want. That's maybe one of the great American mistakes, that love means just telling people what they want to hear and giving people what they want. Um, because obviously, while the gospel is good news, it is not necessarily what any of us want to hear, right? It's a message that we are lost and sinful and guilty in ourselves and need God to rescue and deliver and save us. That said, um, giving people what they want to hear is in no way a measure of love in any actual sense. Um, in fact, it can often be the opposite. Um, think of the Apostle Paul. He writes to Timothy, and he describes a Christianity that is about giving people what they like. He says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Paul says that, you know, that there's this world where people draw those, just tell me what I want to hear, tell me I'm great, don't worry about this stuff. But Paul's response to, um, to Timothy is to say, but you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul says that even though there are people, it's so easy just to try to get people to tell us what we like. Our job is to discharge that duty, to tell people about Jesus. And one other point about all of that, I think especially in our day, some of us wrestle because we really value being inclusive. And that's also a good thing. There is a good inclusiveness we ought to show but the Bible, I mean, this message of the gospel is actually one of the most inclusive messages you could imagine. Um, again, from our reading in Romans, Paul says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, so Jews and Gentiles, where Paul is writing, they hated each other, right? They were like the big racial divide. And Paul says there's no difference in Jesus that everyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter who you are or where you're from, this message is for you. Inasmuch as the church in our world has failed to embody that, inasmuch as the church in our world has been divisive or racist or prejudiced, it has actually failed to really believe the inclusive message of the gospel. That every human being equally is called to come and hear this good news and believe it and be welcomed as an equal member of Jesus' family. So love... Love should inspire and drive us, right, to share this message. That's the second reason that we should do it. A third reason that we should care about evangelism is that Christ embodies it. Jesus embodies the gospel. And I mean that in two senses. First, it's true in terms of Jesus' priorities. When Jesus talks about his mission, he says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
one of Jesus' goals on earth was to find people that were far off and to seek them and draw them to himself. And if we are Christ's body, which is, remember, the picture we've been using in these sermons, then that means that we're called to do that too. That we're called to be seeking and calling those who are far off through Jesus. Paul puts it this way, writing to the Corinthians. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And so God, we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled with God. Which is to say, Jesus wants to make this appeal to call people to come to know him and be reconciled with God. And we are his ambassadors. We are the representatives that are meant to be making that appeal on his behalf. So that's true, and Jesus embodies it in that he is an evangelist. But there's also a deeper sense in which it is true as well. That Christ embodies the gospel. Here is how Jesus describes the mission that he gives to those first disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now again, it's worth noting the inclusiveness of that message. So he says, Jerusalem and Judea, which is, you know, the disciples' fellow Jewish peoples, and Samaria, which is people that they hate, and then to the ends of the earth, right? It's all people. But what's important to recognize here is to notice that Jesus frames it as being his witnesses. People use that a lot. Sometimes you hear people talk about witnessing, right? And by that they mean telling people about Jesus. And that's actually a really great word for it. But unfortunately, I don't know that we always appreciate um, why it's such a great word. And to, to get a sense of why it is, let me contrast it with another way of talking. I sometimes hear people talking about sharing Jesus with people, and they call it like getting people saved. And I hate that, <laughs> all right? I mean, again, I don't think people mean to, but the reason I hate that is because, right, what we're, what we're meant to be saying is that Jesus saves people, right? I am in no sense saving people, but what I am called to do is to bear witness to the salvation that Jesus has worked. That my whole job in evangelism is to proclaim to people, this is what Jesus has done for you. This is the difference that it can make. One of the greatest errors we make in evangelism is that we don't end up talking about Jesus. <laughs> um, I have had it happen to me. I have seen it in other people where we have conversations about um, how to be a good person, or we have conversations about how great our church is, or we have conversations about some other specific issue, and those are all good things, right? Those are all worthwhile things for us to be pursuing in our lives. But the problem is that if we haven't shared Jesus, we haven't actually shared Christianity with those people. Uh, maybe that's why so many people, when you ask them what it means to be a Christian, talk about being a good person and going to church and don't really talk about Jesus. So here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here is what we are called to proclaim as Christians. It is this, that in Jesus, God became a human being and he lived as one of us. He lived the righteous life of, of obedience that none of us live. And he died the death for sin that all of us deserve to die. And in doing that, he broke the power of sin and broke the guilt of sin and gave us restored relationship with God. And that in his resurrection, he gives us new life and hope and power to live into that restored relationship. And that right now he is reigning at the right hand of the Father, building us up, 
and protecting us, and that one day he will return and destroy all that is evil in the world and raise the dead and make all things new. That is the gospel. That is the message that we are bearing witness to. And our calling when we talk with people is mostly just to talk about that, about those things that Jesus has done. But when we start to think that way, of just bearing witness to that, it also really changes our posture in ways that I think are helpful. We do not have to be self-righteous or argumentative if all we're doing is sharing this hope we have in this thing that Jesus has done. Our posture instead can be like, like the posture of my kids, right? When they like, see something cool or learn something cool during the day, and, you know, you come home, and it's like, how was, you know, hey guys, how was the day? And they're like, Daddy, like, we have to tell you about this thing, right? They're excited about the thing and, and happy to share it, not because they somehow have to like, make some point, but simply because that thing is worth being excited about. And that's certainly true of the gospel. All right. We'll come back to some of that again in just a minute when we talk about practical stuff. But one last reason why we should share Jesus, and that's because the Spirit empowers it. The Spirit empowers it. In our reading from the book of Acts, um, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And it's actually striking. It starts um, with Jesus telling the disciples not to go evangelize right away. He says in Acts 1, 4, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, first, don't go share the good news right away, but wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come, which happens in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. God sends the Holy Spirit on this church. Um, And then they go out and start proclaiming Christ. But that power for Jesus is the foundation of evangelism. In verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. The foundation of their witness is this power that they receive from the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, that is not just true of those first Christians. Every one of us has that same Holy Spirit working in us. Um, Paul makes clear elsewhere that, um, that all of us have the Spirit. He says, for example, in Romans 8, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Which is to say, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. But that means that when you bear witness to Jesus... The power that's working in you, the power that's working in me, is the exact same power that was working in those first Christians. Scripture tells us that that's true of our lives. In addition, it tells us that the power of God is invested in the message we bring, right? So we have the Holy Spirit empowering us, and the Holy Spirit empowers the message. So, for example, in Romans 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. When we share the good news of Jesus, we are handing people a live wire. We're cooking with gas. Like this thing is powerful too, to transform life and bring real change. So the Holy Spirit is powerfully working through us and through God's word. Now I say that, and I know that we especially struggle to believe that point, right? Um... So a couple of things about that. The first 
is that that does not mean that evangelism, that sharing Jesus with people, like, automatically works or works all the time or anything like that. In fact, when you read Acts and see those spirit-powered first Christians going out, lots of people reject their message, right? Lots of people don't believe as they try to share Jesus. Um, and that's just true, right? We're not saying that somehow if, if you have the Holy Spirit's power that sharing Jesus is automatic or magic, there will be people that don't believe it. And there will be situations where, you know, you plant a seed and it takes years for it to bear fruit. And in addition, having that sense that God is powerfully at work should be a constant reminder that as we think about sharing Jesus, prayer has to be the foundation of it, right? This is a thing that is relying on God's power, not ours, and so it should begin and end with prayer, and we should be praying in the middle too. But that said, the biggest thing we have to confront, and this is honestly the thing that I was just deeply convicted by myself as I sat and reflected on this message— is that a significant part of why I don't experience that power is simply because I don't very often take advantage of it. One of the realities of our human condition is that we can confuse something not working with our not trying. I remember back, I was a freshman in college, and, um, and I got asked by some friends to get some signatures for this ballot initiative, right? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't actually remember what the ballot initiative was for at all. I, I think there was a cute girl, and, you know, I was like, but yeah, I'll do this, right? So, so I went out, and I was miserable at it, right? But, I, but the thing is, I went into it with this mentality of, like, this is never going to work. No one's going to talk. No one's going to sign this thing. And so I just kind of, like, pulled a clipboard and, like, you know, just kind of stand there, right? And unsurprisingly, nobody signed, you know, my thing. But what I realized in that moment, I would watch some people who were really good at it. And initially I was like, what is up with that, right? Like, do they have some, like, skill that I don't have or, or whatever? But what I realized as I watched this mostly is just that those people asked people, right? Like, they just went and asked, you know, boldly and, and broadly, you know, people to, to sign this thing. Well, I just kind of stood there like, and they, you know, saw success um, and saw that happen. And evangelism is not the same thing as getting signatures for a ballot initiative. But that event somehow kept creeping up in my mind as I thought this week about it, because I think for myself and for many of us that that same phenomena is often in play. We think that there is some issue with the gospel, that nobody would believe this message. Or we think that there is some deficiency in us, that I could never, you know, share this thing. Um... And, we're, and what we do is we say, well, see, like, I don't ever see anybody coming to know Jesus through my life, so that must be true. But the truth is that often the main reason that we are not seeing God move is because we're just not having those conversations. I have known a few people in my life who I would describe as really gifted in evangelism. And while it is true that they had a sort of, like, charisma and, you know, and connection with people and ability to articulate things that not all of us have— as I watched them live, 95% of that gift, I'm convinced, is just that they went and talked to everyone they knew about Jesus. Like, most of what made me think they were gifted was just that they were broad and bold in their willingness to share the good news. All right. So those are all reasons Scripture calls us to evangelize and share the gospel. 
And hopefully in each of those, you can get a sense that there's, there's real hope that we do it, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're bringing the good news of Jesus that we're bearing witness to, and that is a powerful and beautiful thing. Um, God is at work through us. But that said, the other reason we can struggle is just because we can left be feeling like, practically, how do I do this, right? Practically, how do I do this? And so let me offer... Um, a bunch of just quick practical points. But first, let me make two points about things that you should not do or problematic ideas. The first is that some people have in their mind that evangelism has to mean like handing out tracts at the mall and standing up on a street corner and yelling at people or, or whatever. And that is just not the case, right? In fact, um, there are certain people who are gifted and charged to be evangelists in the church, and they might go do that sort of thing. But for most Christians, you are probably not supposed to do that, <laughs> all right? We're going to talk about some things you are called to do, but you probably shouldn't, like, just, you know, go stand, you know, by the highway in, you know, in Stillman or Byron and, like, wave a sign that's like, come to know Jesus and yell at people, right? That's not, for most of us, the calling. On the other side, though, I think some of us, if some of us feel like that's what evangelism has to mean, some of us also are very fond when we discuss evangelism of immediately talking about what people call lifestyle evangelism, which is this idea that just by the way I live, I'm sharing Jesus. They quote St. Francis as saying, preach the gospel at all times and use words as necessary. And there is one level on which that is true, and our lifestyles should, you know, be a part of our evangelism, in the sense that people should see the difference Jesus makes, and they should recognize that. And maybe more so that if you're a hypocrite and a jerk to people, they're probably not going to believe the good news of Jesus' love and salvation. But there's also some problems with that approach. One is that St. Francis did not actually say that quote, which has no bearing but is always a pet peeve of mine, or anything like it. But the other um, is that that idea can become an excuse for us not to use words, right? We're like, using words is scary. Actually, telling people about Jesus is scary, so I'm just going to do the lifestyle thing. And the whole argument of Paul in Romans 10, which we read this morning, is that we have to tell people verbally about Jesus in order for them to come to know him. The Bible's position would be, preach the gospel at all times and do it by your deeds— but words are also going to be necessary. So it's important for us to recognize that. But that said, let me give you some practical things to do to try to engage with this calling. First, we should pray. <laughs> we should intentionally and consistently pray for people to come to know Jesus. That is the foundation of all of this. But I don't just mean in a general way. One particular practical thing to think about um, and these suggestions, right, like you have freedom in Christ, but think about them, um, is just sit down with like your journal or a piece of paper and just think about like who are a few people that I can share this with, right? Not just one. I think sometimes we can just get really focused on one person and kind of, you know, they can feel kind of worn down by it. But say, who in my life, five or six or whatever people do I know that just really need to hear the good news of Jesus and encounter that? And write down their names, Right? Maybe take them from different spheres of life, some from family, some from friends, some from coworkers, whatever, and then just start each day praying for one of them or for all of them. Pray for their blessing and help. Pray that they might meet Jesus and experience the healing and love he has for them, and pray that he would help you to be mindful of whether there's opportunities for you to share with that person. 
So pray. Second, just be open about how Jesus affects your life. Make Jesus a natural part of our conversations about our lives. Now, I do not mean by that that we should awkwardly insert him into every conversation. There is this thing I have heard described as the Jesus juke, which is where you try to just like really awkwardly slide Jesus in. It's like, man, I, you know, I love this sports team. And you know what else I love? Jesus Christ, right? Or, you know, it is, it is hot out today. Not as hot as hell, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> like, that, that is not what I mean when I say that we should make Jesus, you know, just be open about how he affects our lives. But for fear of that, I think we can go in the opposite direction. The Bible says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And what that means is we should always be gracious in how we talk, but we should also season our conversations with Jesus. What does that look like in practice? I think one of the main ways is just to reflect on how Jesus is affecting our lives. Maybe especially in how he's affecting our struggles, and then being open about that. In Elizabeth and my lives, one of the conversations we regularly have is about her health challenges and things like that. And regularly people are just like, how are you guys doing, right? And it would be easy to just say, you know, it's, it's tough, but we're hanging in there, and then just move on, right? And sometimes that's fine, but there are real opportunities for us being like, man, like, here is how Jesus is meeting us. Here are some of the ways that we're wrestling through this stuff with him, of sharing Jesus in the way that we talk about that. And all of us have things going on in our lives where Jesus is moving, and we can share that with people. A third practical suggestion is to read the Bible with if you know or have a friend who's interested in Christianity, the best thing to do is just to, instead of try to explain everything or whatever, is just to say, hey, you want to read the Bible with me? Maybe meet once every week or two or whatever and get coffee and read a chapter of the Bible and talk about it. And I know I say that, and if you haven't ever tried that before, you're thinking no one would ever agree to doing that, right? But the truth is, like, as someone who is both in my own life and talked with others, you know, and seen it happen, like, there are plenty of people who will say, yeah, like, I would enjoy that. And then sit down with that person and read the Bible together. Don't, again, don't preach sermons, right? Just read, like, a chapter of the Bible and just ask and talk about what it means. Usually, if you're doing that, the Gospel of John is the place that most people start, but just Read and talk about that together, about what that teaches you about Jesus and what you think that means. And that's really empowering, too, because, I, again, you can do that. I, you don't have to be a scholar to do this, right? You just sit down together and try to open God's word. A fourth practical suggestion, invite them into contact with fellow believers. One of the interesting things about evangelism in the New Testament is that it is almost never done alone. Um, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. Paul is almost always traveling with other people in his ministry. Um, and that is true for us as well. We're part of a body. And so while each of us is called to share Jesus, we can also do it in a way that's connected with others. That means that one part of evangelism is inviting people into the community of the church. Now, I want to be careful here because I think sometimes we can get this mentality that's just like, my job is just to convince people to come and sit in church, and then like, you know, like Pastor Eric or some other person in church, they'll like share Jesus with them. 
And I know that that is like a tempting mindset to get into, but the truth is that I am much less well-equipped to share Jesus with your friend than you are. (laughs) In truth, right? That, that you, as someone who knows them, and someone who shares life with them, are actually a much more effective person to share Jesus with them than me. But, while evangelism isn't just inviting people into the church, it is true that for many people, um, connection with Jesus and connection with the church run parallel. They, they, they happen together. And it is also true that it is good to be around Christians. I think one of the things that can happen um, is that that's good is that someone who's out, you know, who's not a Christian is just actually able to see the way Christians seek to live and relate to each other and treat each other, and that can have a real power to change them. And do that concretely, too. It's not just, you know, invite them to church, but do things like invite people to hang out with you and share life with you when you're doing life with other Christians. Invite them to come to your small group or, you know, or some other Bible study or whatever and invite them to participate that way. That is a powerful tool. And then one last practical suggestion. This is the big one. Learn to love the gospel for yourself. Learn to love the gospel. We can't teach what we don't know for ourselves on one level. If we have not really internalized this hope and beauty that Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has broken the power of sin and worked our salvation, we're not going to be able to share it. But that's especially encouraging to us, I think, in a sermon like this one. Because it reminds us that even as we wrestle with the fact that many of us need to grow in the calling of evangelism, we are doing it within the context of that gospel. Some of us can be left feeling guilty, like we said, when we talk about evangelism. And I get that. One of the problems is that guilt is not actually a good Christian motivator for obedience. It's not, right? I mean, what we're supposed to do with guilt is bring it to Jesus and, f- and experience his forgiveness and covering for that sin. Which means that if you're wrestling with that, when you think about evangelism, that's what you do, right? Don't just sit and wallow in it and try not to think about it, but bring it to Jesus and experience his forgiveness. Because it's then that forgiveness that is the right motivator. The more we recognize and feel God's love for us and his grace that covers us and his delight in us in the gospel, the more we are actually driven to share it with others. The more we learn to love the gospel and the welcome it provides the more that actually enables us to evangelize. As we close, um, I actually had a whole different conclusion written, but the last couple of days I've really found myself following and reading about um, the specific things. So so, um, I was thinking about China and the church in China, right? Recently there's been this series of government crackdowns on evangelicals in China Um, Just this last week, there was one where a significant pastor in China and like a hundred of his congregants were all arrested. Um, Several of them were abused in pretty terrible ways, several of the women by the police. But anyway, um, that happened. Um, And that is a reality in China in general, right? That persecution and, um, and, you know, and hardship has been there for the church for a hundred years. But at the same time as that's true, at the same time as it's illegal and persecuted, Christianity has been growing very quickly in China. Since 1979, on average, Protestant Christianity grew by more than 10% every year, right? I mean, more, you know, I mean, that massive, massive growth. Um, 
Right now, there's between 93 and 115 million evangelical Christians in China. And people estimate that uh, within the next 11 years, it's going to surpass the total number of people who would claim to be Christians in the U.S., right? There are a lot of people in China that are believing in Jesus. And the way that is happening is through ordinary Christians engaging in the work of evangelism. Sharing their faith is much harder in China than it is here, right? I mean, it's illegal in the first place, essentially. Um, and from the earliest age, kids are taught that Christianity is part of, you know, the evil Western capitalist lie. But at the same time, the gospel advances and goes forward. And I was reading about the situation with this church and its pastor, um, Wang Yi. And one of the things that struck me, um, there was a quote that someone shared from the last time he was arrested, two months ago. Um, because he and 20 members of his church were, went to a park and were telling people about Jesus, right? They were evangelizing people at the park. And so they threw them in jail, but this was Yi's comment on the event. He says, the gospel has been proclaimed. We gave out all the leaflets. Those brothers and sisters who were waiting at the police station brought more. We encountered another police station and got to know a group of people who believed in Christ. May the Lord's love be with these law enforcement officers. Um, and... And I love both. There's a beauty and simplicity to that, right? He's just like, you know what? The gospel has been proclaimed. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not worried about other stuff. That's what he wants to communicate. And even more striking is that, and this is apparent when you read his writing, he actually views encounters with police as evangelistic opportunities and prays that different police officers will arrest him <laughs> at different times so that he has opportunities to share the gospel more broadly, right? But here's the thing. I tell that story, and right now, be in prayer for those brothers and sisters in prison. But we, we, again, stop, because we do this thing where we hear that, and we're like, oh, those, like, strange, exotic saints over in foreign lands. Those people are just like you and me. They have families just like us, and they work jobs just like us, and they have struggles and are sinners, and, and all the tensions that exist within our hearts. Um, they have the same Jesus, though, and the same Bible, and the same Holy Spirit, too. And so as I reflected on those saints and on this calling to share Jesus with people, what I was just left with was just, let's not just hear that example and be like, oh, I wish we were, you know, like that. Let's hear that and be encouraged to say, like, we can have that kind of passion, too. We can, you know, can love the good news of Jesus in that same way. Because that same Spirit is at work in both of us, and our, the same Christ has died to save us. So let's join those brothers and sisters as we seek to share the gospel to the world. Let's pray. God and Father, I um, just pray yeah, that your good news would move forth. That it would move here first, that we would really even believe the good news of your salvation. And then that, that would change and move us as we move in the world to share that good news with others. I pray for these brothers and sisters in China and persecution, and I give thanks for the ways throughout the world that the gospel is going forth and bearing fruit. Pray now that you would be with us in the name of Jesus Christ.